Welcome to the fourth week in our Dream Church series. And we're talking about the family of God today. And to help uh, kick off this message and help us kind of ground it in reality and make sense of why this topic is important, I interviewed my friend Nathan Massey. Um, I did have it on video, but only about half of it because uh, technology sometimes doesn't work the way we want it to. Uh, so it's just audio, uh, but I want to listen, have you guys listen to this interview I did with Nate. Uh, good morning, uh, everybody who might be listening to this, and specifically North Camp Bible Church. Uh, we are talking today about the family of God, and uh, I'm here with my best friend, Nate Massey. You want to say hi? Hey, everybody. He's currently the associate pastor at the Oregon Bible Church in Oregon, Illinois. Um, we've been friends for 12 years, and over that time, we've learned a lot about each other, and I know that growing up, you had um, some interesting life experiences with church family and with your family, and I thought oh, you were just a good person to talk to, to ground our discussion today in reality, um, because this is the topic that affects us more than we think, and as a church family, it's really important for us to know what is okay for us to do, uh, how do we interact, and, and what's not biblical. So, I'm seeking your wisdom this morning and some of your life experience. To start us off, um, why don't you tell us what it, your past experience has been with church family? Sure. Uh, and thanks, I really do appreciate this time to talk to you. So I grew up in the UPC Church, the United Pentecostal Church, uh, and uh, my family and I were a part of this organization for the first nine years of my life. Um, and after the nine years, my family kind of fell away, and I can talk about that a little bit more. Um, but growing up in the church, it was a pretty good experience. I didn't know anything besides the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Um, and so they did things that, even as a child, seemed kind of strange to me. But hey, it, you know, it was good. Uh, my family was there Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings. It was a really big part of our life. Um, as far as the church family aspect of it, I think it was pretty good. But what I did not realize was, and I wouldn't realize this for many years later, that there were a lot of things that were happening in the background and behind the scenes that were not good. And so I realized that a lot of my experience with my church growing up um, was almost falsified because it had this facade that was covering um, some kind of nasty things that were happening behind the scenes. Yeah, and that might be the experience of some others in the world. That's definitely not just your experience that. Um, I think the heart of God is grieved, you know, sometimes by how his church corporately functions, and uh, which is why it's important to talk about what's expected of us as a church family. What about your biological family? What kind of um, experience did you have there? And maybe how did that influence your view of what it meant to be family at the church? Yeah. Um, so like I said, you know, pretty good experience growing up for the first nine years. Um, we were like any other family. We had some issues that we ran into. We had some uh, hardships that we faced as a family. Um, and the biggest hardship that we really faced was when I was nine years old, um, my dad 
sat my mom and I down and said, I don't want to be a part of the church anymore. Now, my dad was a church drummer. You know, he was a part of church leadership in that way. Uh, he was super devoted. He decided I don't want to do it anymore. What we didn't know is that he had been drinking in secret for a long time, and he was tired of being a secret. And um, so my dad is an alcoholic, um, and that put an unimaginable amount of pressure on my family. Um, because when you uh, have somebody in your family that has a crippling addiction, uh, it, it really affects everybody. Um, and my sister growing up as well, my sister's 11 and a half years older than me. Um, my sister uh, has some pretty significant mental health issues. And that added to the weight of it as well. My sister also had a child um, when she was, had just turned 18. Um, so there were a num number of different factors that added to different stressors in my family. All of these things, especially when we fell away from the church, uh, pointed to more of a broken nature. That my family, um, at, the, at its foundation, was a, a broken construct. And uh, that was really painful uh, to realize at a pretty young age. And I know that, once again, you're not alone in that. I mean, that, that happens all around the world. We're in this broken age. It's more commonplace than we would like to admit. And all of our families are broken or dysfunctional a little bit. When we are thinking about that, I just can't help but wonder, does that pour into how we maybe view the term family in general? And then does that affect how we view the family of God? Because we're all bringing these experiences of what it means to be family into our church life and into our relationships and into our marriages and into our kids' lives, you know. So how we grew up and what we think of family, I think, has a big impact on what we do, you know, inside the church. So as you started to kind of come to faith again, because there were many years there where you didn't really want anything to do with the church, as you started to come to faith again and kind of refine church family, how did your past affect you moving into the family of God once again? Well, my life really kind of got flipped upside down in August of 2010. That's when I met this, this pudgy, redheaded Melvin player named Josiah King. And we both realized that we had this deep passion for uh, like nerdy things and, and Baconzillas. And so we're like, this is going to be like a beautiful friendship. <laughs> it didn't take me very long to realize that your family, um, obviously very uh, church-oriented family. Your father's a pastor. And man, that, did that, that made me so weary because around that time was also when I found out a lot of the bad stuff that had been going on in my childhood church. But the one thing that I could not deny at all was that when I spent time with you and your family, I didn't want to go back to my family because I felt the sense of wholeness and this sense of wellness that I had truly never felt in my conscious life. You know, growing up and, and seeing the tensions get worse and worse and worse in my family, it was just kind of like a breath of fresh air when I got to spend time with you guys. That was also around a really pivotal time in my life when I turned 16 because my parents finally split up and I had to make the decision of who I was going to live with. And that caused a lot of pain and turmoil in my mother's life because I, I decided to stay with my dad because he was still in the school district. 
it was just about a year later, after you've been working on me for a long time, trying to get me to go to church, and I was super hesitant, did not want to, I finally did. And when I when I went in, I realized that there was this sense of down-to-earthness and sense of authenticity that I had never sensed before in a church service or a church family. And so I think that a lot of people view people in the church as a sort of fake, uh, like this fakeness that you put on a mask to go to church, you look a certain way, you talk a certain way, and then you live your life completely different. And I felt like when I spent time with you and your family, and when I spent time at Lawrenceville and that church family, I never got anything but authenticity. And being in a church that wasn't full of fake people, being in a church where I realized that, hey, we all have our problems and that's okay, um, really set me on a path to where I could begin to heal from my past hurts. And I realized that upon reflection of what I experienced growing up in the church and what I experienced growing up with my family, that I don't have to be that way. I can be different. Being a part of God's family uh, means everything to me. You know, I'm a pastor, I, uh, uh, but I also and live in a one-person household, just me. So the family of God means absolutely everything to me uh, because that's my time to fellowship, that's my time to commune, that's my time to pour my life into other people and to have their lives poured into mine. And without it, I would be nothing. I'd be a very lonely man. I'd, I'd be a very broken man. And it doesn't mean that we're always perfect. It doesn't mean that we're not messy. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. But what it does mean is that God has planted a redeemed community that we can surround ourselves in and be a part of something that is so much bigger uh, than us. Absolutely. I can't say it better myself. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me today, and uh, thank you for being a friend, and uh, <laughs> thanks be to God for allowing all this to come together. Yeah, well, thank you, Josiah. I really appreciate loving you a lot, and uh, glory to God. Yeah, I'll talk to you later. I know it's a little unconventional <laughs> to start a, a message with an interview, but I feel like what Nate had to say was really important. And I cut five minutes out of what he said. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just telling you, I tried, I, I gave you the best parts. And I know uh, it may have been a little longer than how I normally start a message here, but I just felt like I needed it to include what I did. And I guess my question is, have any of you had a similar experience to Nate? Uh, it might not be the exact same circumstances, uh, but I know that each of our homes were filled with some kind of brokenness and dysfunction. I mean, none of our families are perfect. And I know a lot of people, uh, friends I grew up with, um, even now, that their homes are just broken and dysfunctional. And uh, it hurts me to see that situation. But what I couldn't help but focus on in Nate's message is how the church drew him in. He, he didn't want to go, but when he got there, he couldn't help but deny its power and deny the love and acceptance he felt. Which is why this topic is so important. Because we're not just talking about how do we behave ourselves in a church service? 
We're talking about how do we form a culture and community that when people come, they are attracted to it, that they fall in love with it because we're following biblical principles. We're the, we're the family that God wants us to be. And that's what we're talking about today. How do we be a church family? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to start there. Now, the book of 1 Peter really focuses around talking about the church and its preparation for the day of visitation, or in other words, the day in which Jesus is going to return to the earth and establish the kingdom. And in light of that future hope, the very same hope that we were talking about last week, that very same hope, how are we to live? That's what Peter's trying to accomplish. Answering that question, how are we to live? How are we to relate to the world around us? What kind of attitudes are we supposed to have as individuals? And importantly today, how do we relate to each other within the church as a body, as a family? Uh, In case you guys are curious, as you guys are flipping there, I will be posting that interview with Nate later on our Facebook page. I think I'm also going to post it on our Breakfast Theology podcast just so it reaches more people. Um, It's also on this sermon now forever. So if you're going to look for it, that's where you can find it. So let's start by reading 1 Peter 4, just verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So right off the bat, Peter is giving us a warning. Keep your mind sharp because the last day is approaching. The the end is coming, so... Keep your mind sharp so that you can pray and remain holy and live the life that God is calling you to live all the way to the end. We talked about that in Sunday school, about setting your focus towards the end and working diligently towards that goal. And then Peter goes on to give us some advice on how do we relate to one another. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to me, the statement of love one another above everything else seems like a really bold statement because immediately my mind thinks, wait, I thought loving God was the number one thing that we should be doing, right? So how can Peter say love one another above all else and still be saying a true statement? Well, here's how I think this works. Consider with me 1 John 4.20. I got it right up here on the screen for you. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. That's a pretty bold statement. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot, cannot. It's not can't try or not as much. It's cannot, categorically cannot love God whom he has not seen. So this should stop us in our tracks and make us think about, what are we doing here as a family? Right? Because if we fail to love one another, if we fail to relate to one another in a godly way, we can't say that we love God. 
So that's why this is so important for us to get this straight. So that the priority of loving one another is also a part of loving God. It's inseparable. You can't love God and hate your brother. You have to love your brother and, therefore, you're also loving God. So let's keep looking at what 1 Peter 4 says. 1 Peter 4 goes on to say that love covers a multitude of sins. We just read that. And I think that Peter realizes that we aren't going to be perfect. And that we are going to sometimes sin against one another in the family of God. We don't like to admit it. But at some point, I'm going to sin against you. I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to say something I shouldn't. Maybe make an offhand comment or be sarcastic. I've been known to do that at some point. I am probably going to sin against you. And someone is probably going to sin against me. But love covers a multitude of sins. And I think Peter is telling us that he knows we're going to be making mistakes. People are going to get hurt. But it's the love that we have for one another that heals that hurt. Which is why it needs to be such a priority. Just like it's the love that God's had towards us through the sacrifice of his son that covered our sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. So as long as we're making love the priority... We are meeting one of the foundational quality characteristics of the family of God and setting ourselves up for success. Peter goes then on to say that we need to be hospitable towards one another, fine and dandy, but without complaining, Mm. which is the personal part, as Aaron likes to say. This means that we need to provide for each other and take care of each other, but also in the right attitude, be doing it. And I know that, and I know people, and I know that sometimes people do things for each other, but they're not happy about it. (laughs) Chuck, why are you laughing? (laughs) And I know, you can ask Amber if you don't believe me, sometimes I get into moods, right? And I uh, need to do something, I need to help someone, I need to take care of something, I need to do a chore, and my attitude is just terrible about it, and I complain, and I huff, and I puff, and I throw my little adult temper tantrum. It is very possible for us to do that. But Peter puts harsh correction on that kind of attitude in the family of God. Because we have gifts, and we're supposed to use them to serve each other. To serve each other, because when we do that, we're actually serving God. When we're serving the church, we are building each other up in love, and deed, and practice. And when we build each other up, we're actually building the temple of God. Because it says that we are living stones being built into this temple where God dwells, the place that he has chosen to call home. And at the end of it all, the reason we're striving to become this biblical family, to love one another, to to interact with one another in the way that God provides, is so that God gets the glory. Right? It's so that God gets lifted up. It's so that God gets the veneration and honor he deserves. When we love and serve and give to one another, we are bringing glory to God. It's such an easy way to do it. Well, sometimes. Sometimes loving people can be tricky. Now I want to cover other few quick verses. Um, we're just going to read through Colossians chapter 3 real quick. Uh, Not the entire chapter, verses 12 through 17, if you turn there with me. I want to just look at some of these other verses that cover these quality characteristics of a Christian family, of the family of God, more specifically. 
Looking at verse 12. So as those who have been chosen by God now, first of all, let's realize that the members of this church, this church specifically and the church worldwide, have been chosen by God. If you ever think that you don't belong or that you shouldn't be a part of a church or anything like that, remember that God has chosen you and he's chosen you to be a part of a family. He hasn't chosen you to be an isolated believer. Okay, he's chosen you to be a part of his community and this living stone, a part of his temple in the church. So God has chosen us. Let's keep reading. Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. God and Jesus here serve as our models for behavior in the church. God forgave us. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven. And so we should turn around and do the same thing to our brothers and sisters in the church. God also models us, and Jesus also models in his life, the compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience that we are supposed to have. And to me, that sounds an awful lot like the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And I think that's because we are Spirit-powered children of God. Not flesh-powered children of God. And it's the Spirit in us that allows us to live this way. That is so much different than what the world does. Look at verse 14 with me. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is perfect, which is the perfect bond of unity. Just like we saw in 1 Peter chapter 4, Paul calls us to love. He calls that love to the forefront of the conversation. And it concerns how we relate to one another because... If love is the priority, then the rest of these quality characteristics of the church tend to follow suit. And love, the love that we share with God, the love that we share with one another, that love is the foundation for why God has put this plan of salvation into place. It is what is going to bind us together through the thick and the thin. It is the glue that holds us together. And I just want you to think about your experience in the world for a second. Right? When things get tough, or when there is a disagreement, or people get hurt, it causes fractures and people split, and they distance themselves, and they separate. But when that happens in the church, instead of spreading apart and distancing ourselves, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want division. In fact, he wants us to press in and to love each other even more. Because it's in those moments that grace really shines through. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not just take a side seat, but rule. To which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all the wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So another fundamental quality characteristic of the family of God, I don't know how many times I'm going to say that phrase, is thankfulness and growth. And when we realize that we are a group of sinners, that we were all dead, we're all drowning, 
and we've all been saved, we've been pulled up onto the boat, and we're all in this together, when we realize that, we start to, be hang- we start to become thankful. The other small, minute differences or concerns, they start to become less important. And we're also here, when one of us starts to jump off the boat or steer the boat the wrong way, we are here to help each other reset that direction. That's another part of the family of God is correction and discipline and kind of rubbing each other to sharpen each other in who God wants us to be. And all of this, once again, is meant to point back to God. It's all to bring glory to God. So I put together this list here. I want you to see the whole picture, and this is probably not even all of them. Some of the passages we read today listed up here, I pulled from other places. Here is what Scripture says, just a big list of quality characteristics of the family God. Here you go. Sober-minded, of sound judgment, hospitable, not complaining about one another, oriented towards the service of others, good stewards, glorifying God always, transformed by Christ, compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, Willing to bear each other's burdens, forgiving, unified, peaceful, thankful, seeking truth, focused on praise, willing to work with others chosen by God, working hard for the kingdom, filled with hope, living in the world but not like the world, righteous and holy, a priority of fellowship, and above all else, loving. Those are some pretty high standards that we're being called to. And each one of those characteristics, as we put it into practice, impacts the culture of our family. So here's what I want you to walk away with today. Quick application here. I don't want to keep you too much longer. You've already listened diligently for 25 minutes and 56 seconds. Number one, make Scripture your example for family. So we all grew up in different ways and in different homes and in different families. We, just like Nate, had maybe some bad experiences with family. And I, and I propose that sometimes we take those examples, whether they're good or bad, from our families and from our experiences, and we bring them into the church, and we bring them into the family of God. And those examples can hurt us, I think. Because... Certainly, not all of our families and all of the ways that they interacted were biblical, even the best of them. So, the goal is for you to conform your opinions on what you expect from church, what you expect to do in the family of God, not from your examples or your life experience, but from the examples set by Scripture. So, always measure what you are doing by God's Word. Think about how you interact with your fellow brothers and sisters based on what we read today and the list that we looked at. And if what you're doing does not match what you saw listed today, make an effort to change yourself so that you can make God proud of his church. Number two, don't break the chain of love. Now, by this I mean that if you have a problem or if you hate your fellow brother, if, if you have hate towards them or you have a problem with them, another member of the church, you're essentially breaking the chain of love by not trying to fix that. Because as we saw in First John, you cannot love God and hate your brother at the same time. It just does not work that way. So don't let your relationships with others get in the way of your love for your Heavenly Father. 
So if you have a problem with someone, I, I mean, I'm not talking specifically to anybody, I, but I'm just saying, if that ever comes up, or if you do currently, fix it. Make a priority to fix it, because you cannot truly love God unless you are truly trying to love your brother and sisters. Number three, I think you should take this example. All of us should take this example and go back with that, these principles and ideas and minds back to our relationships and our families. We need to transform how we do our lives to match Scripture everywhere, not just in the church. To carry out these biblical principles everywhere. As Nate said in his interview, one of the things that he saw that really drove him away from the church for a long time was that people would live one way in the church and they'd go out and they'd live a totally different way another time. There is no part-time Christianity, unfortunately, for all of us who have committed to it. It impacts every part of our life. But it's not unfortunate because what does it bring? It brings peace and hope and salvation and a future. Yeah, maybe we don't get to live the same way we used to. But that's a good thing, I think. (laughs) I think that's a good thing. And I want you to live this way even if the other people in your life don't return the same principles and attitudes. It's very unlikely that they will. They might sometimes, but not all the time. But it's you who are accountable for your actions. And you just might be the example to someone that leads them to Christ and help them find a different way of living. So, there are many great things about North Kent Bible Church. I love being a part of this family. That being said, I can see ways in which we can grow into the family that God wants us to be, into the dream family, into the ideal family of God. But I am not in this effort alone. In fact, I am just one member. I don't have that much energy and power to change all of us at once. I just cannot do it. But each of us working together can change this church for the better. And if we make this a priority, a forefront in our minds, to live examples in the family of God that we have been called to, we will be moving in the right right direction. We will be changing for the better. We will become a closer image of this dream and ideal church, which is, I think, what we all want, right? I mean, I guess if you don't want that, that's okay. If you don't, you should come talk to me. I'll try to convince you. That's what you want. And so I want you to ask your questions. What example are we setting to our community? How do we look to those who visit our church? How do I act with my family at home? How do I interact with my friends? And I'm asking more questions than I'm giving answers because, like I said, we're all working together. It's not just for me to think about. It's for all of us to think about. Every single one of us needs to be concerned with these questions. And I hope you all realize that you're part of the family. Truly, I hope you realize that. Because really, that makes a difference in your life. You are my brothers and sisters. Look to the left and right of you. Just look around for a second. I just want you to take a break. Just look around. I know it's awkward to look at people in the eyes in the middle of service, but just do it. Look people in the eyes. This is your family. Congratulations. You have a great family. 
And that's what Jesus says. Even if you have to leave some things in this life, you're getting a hundredfold. If you have to leave your biological family, look at the family you get. And this is just one little part of a much bigger family. It gets really big. It gets really big. You're not alone. But we each have our chores. <laughs> that comes with being a part of the family too. We got our work cut out for us. Please pray with me this morning. God, I thank you so much for placing us in this community. For creating a place for you to reside in these living stones that you call your church. I just pray that you help us to live the way that you want us to. Honestly and truly, help us become who you want us to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.